Hi, I'm Aurora, and tonight's Bible reading comes from Genesis 39, verses the whole chapter. Um, It's labeled Potiphar's Wife, Oh, and I'm reading from the NIV. Now Joseph had been taken. Now Joseph had been taken away down to Egypt. Potiphar and the Egyptian, Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials and the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and so he prospered and he and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord had give, gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his, yeah. Joseph found favor in his eyes, and he became his attendant. Potiphar brought, put him in charge of his household and entrusted him to his, entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the from the time he had, he put him in charge of his household and all he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, and Joseph in charge. He did, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, "Come to bed with me." But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, "My master does not concern himself with anything in this in the house. Everything he owns, um, everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you." because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to him, to Joseph, day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went to the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by... Uh, she caught him by his cloak and said to him, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran outside the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said, um, Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make a sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept the cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the story that the Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak with me. Uh, beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed kindness to him and granted him favor, favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all he, those he. So Joseph 
So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success for whatever he did. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Aurora. Thank you too to the worship team this evening. I don't know whether I just needed worship tonight, but I really appreciated that team. Yeah. <clears throat> so, well, obviously we are continuing our series in uh, Genesis and looking particularly at Joseph. And uh, tonight we're simply going to be um, talking about when temptation comes. And I think um, this is another passage of Scripture. When you read through it, there's a number of things that uh, the passage of Scripture uh, could actually be titled, and it would be correct and appropriate. And uh, in thinking through this, I almost use this instead, overcoming temptation, punishment or reward, because it seems pretty rugged what happens to Joseph. And uh, it seems that He's done the right thing, he's lived for God, he's honoured and glorified him and it's almost like he appears to be punished because of what he's done. And um, it's so often the case where we believe, whether we say it um, audibly or not, that if we live for God, if we do the right thing, then life should be good. We should be rewarded for living for him and everything should be okay. In fact, I had a so-called Christian pastor used to preach and speak regularly and say that when you give your life to Jesus, all your problems will be gone. And I think many of you, if not all of you, will agree with me that that's not the case. In fact, life often gets a lot more difficult. And if we were to read God's word, we would see that it never makes that claim. And instead, we receive warnings all throughout Scripture. And this is just three of them. In John 16, 33, we're told that we'll have tribulation. In 1 Peter 4, 12, we're told we will face fiery trials. In 2 Timothy 3, 12, we're told that we will be persecuted. And as far as I can tell, they're not pleasant experiences um, when we read those things. So it seems that Joseph here makes a stand and it doesn't go well for him. So what are we to do when temptation comes? There's a guy called James Lau. And he said something very interesting about trials and temptations. And I actually really like it. He said, our trials and temptations are like a knife. They either serve us or cut us, depending on whether you grasp them by the blade or by the handle. So are your temptations cutting you or are they helping you? Are they causing growth in your relationship with God? Are they drawing you closer to him or are they hindering that relationship? And we see with Joseph, he made that stand. He had, has arrived at a point, particularly in our reading tonight, where he has made a choice to stand for God. He loves God, he believes in God, he trusts God and now he's living for him. He's following him in all that he should do. And yet, from our worldly perspective, he seems to be treated unfairly. We believe he should have been exonerated because of his actions that honoured God. And Potiphar's wife was lying through her teeth. But in all of that, 
I don't think Joseph thought that way. I don't think he, he was angry at all. He knew God was with him regardless of his outward circumstances and situations. And his focus continues to be on honouring and glorifying God who knew all things, all the facts, all the motivations, even what Joseph and others were thinking. God knows that. And so we come to this point in scripture where Joseph has lost that beautiful coat, he's lost his loving father, he's lost his brothers, who wasn't a great loss after all, uh, he's lost his position and he may have even lost his reputation to a degree. But he has retained his godly, upright character. And he sees that as far greater value than anything else. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. You are a good God. I thank you that you know all things. I thank you that you know the very reasons we are here and what's on our minds right now. And I just pray, Lord that by power of Holy Spirit, you'll mix and mingle amongst us this evening, that you'll quicken this word to us, that it will challenge us and draw us closer to you. Father, use this word tonight, I pray, for your glory and purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. I think everyone who's hearing my voice would be able to testify that they have faced temptation in one form or another. And the vast majority of us will want to minimise how often we've actually given into those temptations and sinned. And as a result, not honoured God. And I think most of us would want to live a life that does honour and glorify God. We will want to be triumphant. We will want to win against sin. But for many, we, we actually don't see too many victories. All we see is constant failure and we beat ourselves up over that. And so how is it that Joseph is able to triumph over sin and temptation? And I think first and foremost, it's because he lives this life of faith. And we cannot accurately determine Joseph's age at this time. But we know that when he was sold into slavery, he was 17. We know that when he actually becomes the assistant to Pharaoh, he was 30. So we've got 13 years in the middle there where Joseph was either in Potiphar's house or he was in prison. And we know that he was in prison most likely for at least three years because he was forgotten in prison for two years. So there's a very good chance that Joseph's in his early to mid-twenties at this time of this story. And we're told that the Lord was with Joseph and Joseph became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And so a few years have passed and Joseph has been working on his relationship with God. He has overcome that arrogant attitude that self-righteous attitude that he once had and he's now focusing on his Lord and Joseph didn't hide his faith he knew the Lord and he knew he was walking with him and so Joseph followed after him in living out his life to the best of his ability to honor and glorify God how do we know that well because that previous verse sorry tells us the Lord was with him and then we're told here that the master saw that the Lord was with him, with Joseph, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Joseph didn't hide his faith. And what he believed in his heart was outworked through his life. 
people saw it demonstrated and how he interacted with others, how he conducted himself, the things he did when he thought others were not even looking, all of it pointed to God. How he spoke and treated others also pointed to God. It all stood out. And part of our call in following Jesus is to live for him. But the bit we miss out on is that we're to live like him. This is what Joseph's doing. He's not only living for, for God, but he's living like God. And as he continues to follow God, he becomes more and more like him in how he loves others, even those who don't love him. How he treats others, even though he doesn't get things in return. How he willingly serves those around him. How he humbles himself in each and every situation. And how he puts others before himself. All of those things are godly characteristics. And Joseph is doing those things. And we are called to do the same. And in this case, God blesses him. He receives worldly possessions and things like that. But he doesn't do that in every case. But here, Joseph is... From the time he was made overseer of Potiphar's house and everything that Potiphar had, the Lord blessed both Joseph and Potiphar and Potiphar's house because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. And so Potiphar makes Joseph his overseer. There was no one in a greater position of responsibility in Potiphar's house than Joseph accepts Potiphar himself. And God blessed all the work of Joseph. So much so that Potiphar didn't have to concern himself for anything. Everything was done for him and he trusted Joseph 100%. He never checked the accounts or anything like that because he knew that Joseph would have them in order. Everything ran perfectly. Everyone got on. God's favour was on Joseph, Potiphar and Potiphar's house. But I'm sure you know, and we've experienced through reading scripture and seeing it in the lives of others, when people are doing everything they can to follow God, the devil and his horde set about to defeat and destroy them. He doesn't want them to continue to follow God. He doesn't want anyone to continue to follow God. He wants to tear down each and every believer who is having an impact for the kingdom. He wants to destroy them. And we need to be prepared and we need to understand the nature of temptation. I think we can agree that it appears Joseph has sorted his life out and he's now committed to following God. But your lifestyle doesn't determine whether temptations come or not. Joseph was living righteously, holy, and yet temptation stalked him. And it'll do that to all of us too as we live for God. And what may seem harmless, irrelevant or fun at the beginning can often be those beginnings of a slippery slope and you slide down that slope and things get away from you before long you know that you're trapped in something that is truly terrible, truly horrific. And we see that a little in the account that we've been given this evening. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. At the end of verse 6, We're told that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. The NIV that you heard read to you said that he was well-built and handsome. Uh, Pastor Darrell said that he had a six-pack, which then Darrell started undoing his shirt to demonstrate what a six-pack looked like this morning. Oh, I'd do that for you. There's not one there. But I'd imagine 
that Joseph was often the topic of conversation for the people in the household, for their friends and relatives who visited, and for those who knew Potiphar and Joseph in that household. It wouldn't only be about how good-looking Joseph was, but it would be about how blessed they were to have someone so competent running their house, someone who they could trust 100% to do everything that was before them. And Tabuti is good-looking as well. And so in time... Potiphar's wife begins to look at Joseph in a different way. We don't know how long that took. And so she took notice of him. She looked upon him. And instead of doing what was right and not thinking about having a relationship with Joseph, she fed those thoughts. And she nurtured and held those thoughts to herself. She dwelt upon that. And the desire to lie with Joseph grew. Temptation is often subtle. If we were able to go back in time and step into this situation and confront Potiphar's wife when she first laid eyes on Joseph the way that she did and said, what are you doing? You're a married woman. She'd go, it's harmless. It's just a little bit of flirting. It's nothing. It's a bit of fun. None of you have ever heard anyone say that, hey? You'd be amazed, the people that I've sat with. Broken relationships, broken families, and it started with a harmless flirtation. That harmless flirting doesn't honour the person doing it. It doesn't honour the person receiving it. It doesn't honour Potiphar. And it certainly doesn't honour God. It doesn't honour the sanctity of marriage. But Potiphar's wife feeds that desire. And she ends up flat out propositioning Joseph. Come to bed with me, she says. And he declines her offer. But she and temptation are not done with Joseph. And it continues. The temptation is sustained. And we're told that Potiphar's wife pursued Joseph day after day and Morris said after day again it was just totally ongoing and we're told he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her Joseph didn't give in to her he refused to and it would appear that she knew that and in one last strategic effort she makes this move. He goes into the house to do his normal work and none of the servants are in the house. Now we don't know if Potiphar's wife set this up or not, but she certainly took advantage of the situation when no one else was in the house. She saw her opportunity to fulfil her desires and she made her move and I want you to think about the progression of Potiphar's wife's temptation. She looked upon Joseph and basically thought, this guy is hot and I want to be with him. 
And instead of dismissing those thoughts, she dwells upon them. She exercises things within her mind and then she has this great desire to fulfill the desires of her mind in a physical way. And she continues to dwell upon them, increasingly feeding that desire and thinking about it. And so when opportunity comes, she jumps at the chance to bring her thoughts to life. Joseph has also been dwelling upon things in his mind. It hasn't been Potiphar's wife. But he's been focused on God and he's been seeking to honour him in all he does and live in such a way that others will see God. And that hasn't changed throughout this temptation. So let's look at how he stood against temptation. I'm not sure if Joseph was aware of that first day um, when his master's wife changed towards him. But when she confronted him, his response was immediate. He just gives a flat out no. He refuses and says no, and then gives her reasons why. And I believe that Joseph's initial refusal is faith-based. Here is a young man who's made a decision to follow God. He is growing in his understanding of God's plans and purposes for his life. And even without that, he knows that God's design for sex is held within the sanctity of marriage, marriage between a guy and a girl. And he doesn't want to break that. He wants to keep himself for his wife and have sex in the way that God designed. And so he had resolved to live in a manner that honoured God. So when that temptation comes, because he'd resolved that within his mind, he could quite readily and easily say, no, I am not going there. But further to that, he tells Potiphar's wife that he will not betray his master's trust. Potiphar had entrusted everything to Joseph and Joseph doesn't want that trust to be smashed. And there's also more. We often talk about being adopted sons and daughters of God and being adopted we take on God's name and that's not hugely significant in our culture. But when we think about the culture of that day, when you become adopted, when you take on someone's name, everything you do reflects upon them. So realistically, we should be able to say everything that we do as we live for Jesus, we can sign that in Jesus' name. Joseph doesn't want to bring shame upon God's name. He's made that connection where his actions reflect on God because he says quite openly that he follows God, he lives for God. So how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's where Joseph goes first. He doesn't go about the sin against Potiphar. He doesn't go about the sin against Potiphar's wife, the sin against his own flesh. He knows, first and foremost, it is a great wickedness and evil and sin against God himself. He knows, first and foremost, if he did this thing, he would dishonour God. A few of us um, went to an event on Thursday evening. There was a lady present, uh, her name was Rachel Gilson. And uh, Rachel 
uh, before becoming a Christian, was same-sex attracted, and she was in a number of same-sex relationships and things like that. And uh, she suddenly developed an interest in finding out about this Jesus fellow, but she didn't want anyone to know that she had this interest in finding out about Jesus. So she started reading all this material and um, then she knew a couple of Christian friends and she went to this couple of Christian friends who were also in same-sex relationships and one of them was actually a, a, uh, a minister of religion in some church, I don't know which one. So she spoke to these two females and they encouraged her to give her life to Jesus and continue in the lifestyle that she had. But she couldn't equate that with what scripture was telling her, so her conclusion was they were wrong. That's amazing as far as I'm concerned. And, and so as she continued to read about God, she, she just got hungry for more and more. And ultimately she went and visited uh, a girl who was a Christian and she was looking upon her bookshelf and she found a book called Mere Christianity and she decided to steal that book and um, have a read. She didn't want anyone to know that she was pursuing Christ. And she was reading that book one night. She was in about the middle of it, she said. And something challenged her. And she realised... I've never heard anyone else say this before. She realised that God was real. And God was holy and righteous and glorified and unapproachable. And she, within herself, realised... She was sitting there reading from a stolen book in a same-sex relationship which was counter to God's teaching, doing so many things that were against him. She realised if she was to die and be in his presence, he would say, guilty, hell, and she would accept it because she knew that was righteous and right. And at that point, she decided she needed to follow Jesus and do away with everything the way that she was living she prayed one of those incredibly holy prayers I've told you about because no one had taught her to pray. She'd never heard anyone to pray. She bowed her head and said, okay, I'm a Christian. Love it. But she never looked back. She had her struggles. But she made that choice to make God right and righteous. And she didn't accept any compromise. She left those same-sex relationships was she still attracted to women? Yeah, she was. But she wouldn't exercise that. She wouldn't give in to that temptation. And that's where Joseph is. Every day, this woman was tempting him. And every day he refused. He didn't play any games. He didn't soften his stance by saying something along the lines of, well, if you weren't married, you know, you're quite attractive and maybe. He didn't even slightly compromise his stand. It was a flat no. And his no remains a firm and adamant no. You'll also notice... That only, not only did Joseph say no to her day after day, but he wouldn't listen to her and he wouldn't lie with her and he would not be with her. Joseph took steps to make sure that he would not be in the same area as this woman. He knew the danger that was there and he didn't want to place temptation before her or before himself. We need to take steps 
to push that temptation away from us. And rather than that being the end of it, I think she got more frustrated. She so wanted him that we have this final play. Joseph arrives and begins his work and he seems to be the only one present in the house until she comes in. And she grabs his garment and drags him. Lie with me. And he spins out of the garment so he can flee the house. Think about that situation. Who would know if Joseph laid with her? There's no one in the house to witness what he did. No one would be harmed. And in a way, if Joseph did this, the woman would get off his back. It'd be a much quieter situation when he came to work and everything like that. Have you ever had people justify doing something that's against God simply because it would make life easy? Joseph makes his decision. He flees. That appears to be the end, doesn't it? Joseph is going to lose his position. He's going to lose his reputation. He's going to lose the nice life that he's living. And yet his character is still intact. He chose not to give in to temptation and in making that decision his testimony remains intact and he knows that he has honoured God. So is it a triumph? I think all of us think, well, at some stage, Joseph should get some reward. Something should happen because he made such a great stand for God. But it's very rarely the case, isn't it? What an encouragement it would be if we could say, if you resist temptation for this length of time, God's going to do this for you. Wouldn't it be great if we had all these neat little formulas that allowed things like that to happen? But what is Joseph's reward? Because he was rewarded. Potiphar's wife tells Potiphar a pack of lies about Joseph and Potiphar's anger is kindled. And so Potiphar gets Joseph. He takes him and he places him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And Joseph was there in prison. Joseph is so wronged. Justice seems to be swept under the carpet and Joseph loses everything. But at least the Lord's with Joseph. We've got the warm fuzzy, haven't we? And God continues to show his steadfast love and gives him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Do you see this as a consolation prize or do you see this as the greatest thing? Joseph didn't mess up. He remained true to God and honoured him with his decision. So God blesses him. Don't read this as material possessions and wealth and all that sort of stuff. That may happen for some, but not for many. But this is more about the knowledge of God's constant companionship, his guidance, his assurance, his strength and his wisdom. And we talk about that day when we will stand in God's presence in glory. And I don't know about you, but I want to stand in God's presence in glory and I want to hear him done, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear God say. Do you think he'd say that to Joseph? Amen. Without a doubt. Do you think he'd say it about me? No, don't call that out so loud. But hopefully that's what we hear. Well done, good 
and faithful servant. And that's of greater value than anything we can have on this earth. And as we are quickened, as we have greater knowledge of our relationship with God, as we draw closer to him, it's these triumphs that give us greater hope, greater joy in having our relationship intact with God. Joseph also triumphs within himself. You guys know, especially if you've got habitual sin and you're trying to overcome that habitual sin, when you sin, you feel so guilty, you feel so bad, you feel like you've failed. Joseph gets up in the morning, even in prison, and when he sees his reflection, there's nothing he's ashamed of. He knows he's done the right thing. And so he triumphs. He's not forced to play over and over in his head the what-ifs if he hadn't given in to temptation, if he hadn't gone down that path, if he hadn't been there that day. There's no guilt. Joseph's integrity and character is 100% intact. He's been able to stand against that a great temptation. He's been able to overcome it. Many in this day and age would look upon a Joseph of today and scoff because for all his righteous living, for all his clean living, he gets punished. And so they can't see the point. All he gets is trouble. And he's thrown into prison. But what we know is because he stayed true to God, God is with him. And Joseph remained in the middle of God's will even when he was in prison. God manipulates things and uses them for his glory and purposes. And we know that it won't be long and Joseph would again be raised up and he'd be the second most powerful person in Egypt. It's incredible. And there's something else we miss in this account as well. I love the way Pastor Darrell did it, so I'm stealing a little bit of what he said this morning. Who was Potiphar angry at? Oops, didn't that change? He gets the account from his wife and his anger was kindled. I believe there's a very good chance, and Pastor Darrell agreed this morning, that Potiphar is angry with his wife. You see... Potiphar knew Joseph's character. He knew the way he conducted himself. He knew the way Joseph lived. And so it would be really difficult for him to believe that Joseph would do something as dishonourable as attempting to sleep with his wife. Just as Potiphar knew Joseph, I'm sure Potiphar knew his wife. The other thing to keep in mind here, what's the punishment for adultery for a Jew? Death. So if Potiphar was angry with Joseph and he wanted to seek his revenge, wouldn't he use the Jewish law against him and put him to death? I think he would. Why did Potiphar not do that? And why was Joseph put in prison 
where the king's prisoners were confined. Who's the captain of the guard of this prison? Says captain of the guard. The captain of the guard is a guy called Potiphar. We're told that in Genesis 39.1. Potiphar takes Joseph out of his household. He's angry because he knows how abundantly blessed he's been with Joseph in his house. But to save face, he can't have Joseph in his house anymore because of what his wife has done. And so he does the next best thing. He puts him in the prison that he's responsible for. And I'm sure that he would have spoken to the keeper of the prison and said, this Joseph guy, he's pretty good. Put him in charge of some stuff. You won't have to worry about it once you do. And that's exactly what happens. And again, God's instrumental in making this happen. This is Joseph's ticket ultimately to get to be with Pharaoh. God is present with him even in the most difficult situation and circumstance, even when it looks like he's been wrongly and unjustly punished. It's just God manipulating things for his benefit and his glory and to fulfill the word that God has already spoken. I want you to think about the world we're living in. I'm not sure if I was looking to have children now, whether I'd be as comfortable having a child, bringing them into this world as what I was when my kids came. We are constantly being bombarded by all manner of things. The event on Thursday night covered the topic which is the stand of many people around us, Christianity, outdated, bigoted and untrue. They were the topics that were covered. And I think you'd find many of your friends would believe that Christianity is outdated, bigoted and untrue. It was great to hear those speakers speak about that and turn it on its head. Our friends make that stand and they try and force us to comply to what they say is the truth. What we believe is absolute truth. I know that's a difficult thing to say in this day and age, but it is absolute truth. There are books, there are magazines, there's social media platforms, there's TV and po cable programs that all work towards breaking down our moral standards, the things that God has put in place. And I've got to tell you, I, I'm an avid reader. I read heaps and heaps of books. It's the way I relax. And I'll start reading some thriller series, some detective series or something like that. And there's always a same-sex relationship in there. Always. And so I turf those and I've started reading older and older books so I don't have to confront that. Becky was telling me to be nominated now for Logies and things like that. There's certain relationships, there's certain aspects that has to be in the movie before they'll allow it to be nominated. It's insane. And so we watch these things. We, it's okay, it's just one small part of the movie. But slowly, it is breaking down our resolve. It's breaking down our morality. And I know some of us think that that can't happen. That doesn't happen. Do you know why arcade games were invented, the ones where you shoot people? Because 
They found a number of muskets from the wars that had up to five loads in them because the people, the soldiers, couldn't bring themselves to shoot another human being. And so they had to find a way of desensitising soldiers to that. They developed arcade games so they could play those and shoot imaginary human beings. And the so-called kill rate went up dramatically. We are bombarded by this stuff and we accept it because we don't think it affects us. Ask God to reveal the temptations to you because you're giving in to some of them now without even realising it. And when he reveals those to you, flee from them. Shut it down. Don't watch it anymore. Don't allow it to be a part of your life. And like that woman on Thursday night, like Joseph, be determined to live for God. Be determined to live for Christ and follow him, his way, his purposes, his rules. Don't linger and allow temptation to get a hold on you. Don't give Satan that foothold. Because if you do, you're ultimately giving him permission to kill any potential you have for serving the Lord. It's really that simple. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for this account about Joseph that we've read this evening. I thank you, Lord, that there's so much we can learn from that. And Lord, I, I just pray that you've spoken to people here this evening. I pray that there'll be stuff that they take on board. That, Lord, they'll draw closer to you as a result. And Father, that, that's my desire. I, I just want people to be closer to you in whatever way, shape or form, Lord. I want them to be able to put aside these things that draw us in and cause us to make bad decisions. So Father, break us if that's what it takes. Humble us. Reveal to us those temptations that we're given into so we can deal with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I have these question sheets here. Would love you guys to grab them and have a chat with a few people about the message this evening. Otherwise, you can take them home and do that. But this week, I really do pray the Lord will be with you. I pray he'll reveal himself to you. I pray he'll quicken your word to you. I pray that you will just engage with him, knowing his presence and power each and every day. May he be with you. God bless. Thank you.